Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have uh, Ali Rampurwala, who's the founder of Vastly Valuable Ventures. And since 2017, he has invested in more than 150 companies across US, Latin America, and India, and Middle East, both via AngelList and other structures, platforms, as well as direct investments. Ali has done his MBA from Kelly School of Business. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you so much, Roy. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, uh, your interesting journey, you, uh, uh, you, you started in angel investing, you launched your own syndicate. So how did you get into, into this world of angel investing and, you know, starting your own angel syndicate? That's a very interesting question. I actually, uh, this it's a long-winded answer, right? So I'm actually a computer engineer by training. Uh, and as a result, I've always, you know, had some sort of an interest for technology. And then over the past decade or so, I've been investing in technology companies for, you know, various multi-billion dollar family offices, uh, but mostly on the kind of late stage side, so Series C and D and after. Uh, about five years ago, I came across uh, Angelus as a platform and started making these small investments, uh, you know, $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 across various syndicates. And I built up a portfolio of about 120 odd investments. Uh, while at the same time, while I was doing that, you know, I was not getting caught up in this FOMO factor, you know, when, you know, syndicates announce that the deal is closing in one hour, or one day, it's full, et cetera. I was doing still what I think is the right thing to do is kind of read through the entire memo and make, your, make up your own mind as an investor, as a, whether it makes sense to invest in a particular company. Uh, while at the same time, I was also started doing these uh, start, Middle East uh, startups where I was investing in them directly and then helping the founders kind of raise money from institutions and angels, etc. And also I sit on the board of a, a very, very active VC, one of the most active VCs globally. So I sit on the board there and that has kind of helped guide my thesis to a, a certain extent. So over a period of basically, I realized that you know if I can pick the right companies in my day job, and I was been you know picking the right right investments, and they were doing great returns, and I was picking the right companies in my night job, which is basically for my own portfolio. Uh, so I decided that maybe it makes sense to kind of use these skills to pick the right deals for a you know very tight knit community of LPs, and that's kind of how the genesis of uh, how how vastly valuable ventures came about, which is the current uh, syndicate that I run on AngelList. Quite interesting. And, um, uh, you, you know, uh, lately, uh, Angelus has been very disruptive. Uh, they started the syndicate model uh, as well as rolling funds. Do you think uh, rolling funds and syndicates are innovative for capital markets? Of course they are. I mean, I think uh, they're most definitely, uh, you know, huge innovation for capital markets because, you know, they've uh, completely democratized uh, how you know how how uh, investors are investing into startups and the access that was previously restricted to maybe high net worth individuals and institutional investors who were able to commit kind of the five hundred thousand dollar plus uh, tickets now now is you know brought down to the retail investor who can invest much smaller uh, amounts and still get access to that asset class that he was completely shut out of before. Um, you know, the way the rolling funds work, you can commit to a rolling fund for one quarter and then stop committing and then commit again for the next quarter. So you're basically getting the, on a deal by deal basis, you're, you're getting this ability to commit on a quarter by quarter basis and not really have to do this 10 year hold period that is typical of VC funds historically. Um, and so sometimes, you know, uh, even the rolling funds, I think have a, uh, sort of an advantage over the syndicates because the rolling funds at least can 
have a fixed amount of capital ready to deploy. So when they go to a founder and say, we want to invest in a certain company, they can actually put a dollar behind that and start writing a check immediately. Whereas for a syndicate, it usually takes a week or two weeks to get put together uh, the syndicate and actually invest amount. So sometimes I think from a, a from a priority perspective, sometimes founders tend to give priority more to even a rolling fund. But but both both of these have been have completely uh, uh, been huge innovations for the capital markets. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that you know syndicates and rolling funds both allow uh, you know retail investors to invest into into private uh, companies and. Yeah, you know, before the call, I was I was, I was talking about I, I did the angel summit. I was trying to build my own syndicate, uh, and you know, I I somehow failed building my syndicate. But what was your experience in forming your own syndicate uh, uh, on on AngelList? So uh, that's a very interesting question that you asked because uh, the experience so far is extremely interesting, right? and and I, and I say this for multiple reasons. Uh, it's perhaps something like establishing your own startup. Uh, something like that. I'm sure uh, for startup founders go through a lot more pain. Um, although my syndicate is only six months uh, old, uh, we do about one or two deals a month. We have grown to just under a thousand LPs fairly quickly. But but building this syndicate and keeping the deal flow uh, quality very high at the same time um, and building the LP is somewhat akin to, in my view, building a two-sided marketplace, right? So I spend my nights kind of talking to founders, uh, finding the right deals, convincing them why they should be giving me an allocation. And then I turn around and uh, convince LPs to uh, invest in these deals. Right? So it's basically you're trying to get two different uh, uh, markets together and, and make it, make a deal happen. And you all, all, why all of this, while you're, while you're doing all of this, you're actually hoping that, you know, the deal doesn't fall through or you don't really make uh, you, you hope that you can make the complete allocation that you've been provided or the deal deal doesn't close before you can complete your raising your syndicate, uh, the amount that you committed to the founder. Um, what, one of the things that has really happened as a result of what I've gone through in the last six months is, is actually sharpened my thesis a little bit. So I've doubled down on the amount of diligence that I'm doing, the reference checks I do, et cetera, um, before I bring these two LPs, right? Because I've seen that the quality of deal flow kind of really matters in the long run as to how how you can build uh, build traction and uh, also build a, a, a more a dedicated uh, community of LPs who will continue to invest you invest with you. Um, and so one of the things that you know I, I tend not to do is like, we don't have a spray and pray approach, so we don't really have the ability to do or don't want to do actually. 10 to 20 deals a month. Like to me, to my mind, I don't really have the ability, uh, and I'm, I'm surprised many other people have the ability to kind of diligence 20 deals a month. I, I just can't do it. And I, I think, uh, you know, I would rather do one or two very high quality deals that I have full conviction on and have, have had done full diligence on uh, before I bring it to the Meyer piece. But interesting, you, you talked about thesis uh, for uh, for your uh, syndicate and I wonder to understand, you know, uh, what what is what is the thesis? Are you focusing mostly on, uh, uh, you know, South South Asian market? Uh, so actually, uh, no. So there's kind of very the thesis for vastly valuable ventures is kind of built around very simple two principles. Firstly, uh, you know, that's that's also uh, partly why why the name, right? So the first uh, principle is we only invest in, invest in fabulous founders, right? So we're basically, our thesis is that the founders will make or break a business. So I like teams that have either built something together, have been roommates together, or at least known each other together, because when shit hits the fan, they'll stick around and they'll be hustlers and, and have the perseverance to kind of stick through it, right? Uh, and the second is that we're looking for very, very defensible ideas in large markets that have the potential to become, you know, a 100x deal. 
uh, we don't like niche plays. Like before, to go after you know a, a market that's hundreds of billions. So even if you take a small percentage of the market share, you are still a, a multi-billion-dollar business. Um, so these are the two guiding principles that we go after. Otherwise, we are apart from these two principles, we are both sector and geography agnostic. Of course, we we tend to do things in in geographies we understand a little better, uh, but we will we will not be we will not be shy to kind of go into new geographies where. Uh, the risk premium is better, right? For example, right now we're doing uh, some deals in Africa, and I find that the valuations in Africa are significantly cheaper uh, than they are elsewhere in the world. But if you even think about it from that perspective, Africa is perhaps a decade or so, or at least five years behind many other countries, including India, for example. So if you just have to think that these countries will go through the same trajectory that other countries went through. This is probably the best time to start investing in these geographies. So uh, we are not averse to going into new geographies that we don't understand very well. We tend to, I tend to, try to build build the understanding of the of the landscape uh, and do very very uh, you know I do deals in very very specific spaces. Although I tend to remain more agnostic as as much agnostic as possible. Today I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called social pilot social pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts use lifestylemastery.com/socialpilot to get a 14 day free trial got it yeah uh, and um you know, I started uh, reading this book called Angel from Jason Calacanis, and that's where you know I uh, I think he's one of the popular angel syndicates now. Now he runs his own syndicate, but uh, uh, you know, you know what what are you doing differently compared to other syndicates? Uh, considering that you know the lot of syndicates which have uh, which has opened up uh, in the last couple of uh, couple of years, uh, just wanted to understand your your thoughts on that. I think there is uh, rightly, like you rightly said, right? There's a bunch of syndicates on platforms like AngelList. There are a bunch of syndicates that run off, uh, primarily off AngelList, and many other people do many other different formats, right? Of a deal by deal structure. Uh, what I do completely differently, or at least I, uh, how I differentiate uh, compared to other uh, syndicates, it's not really a differentiating against other syndicates. It's basically, what I do for my LPs is four things, right? One is we are extremely selective. So we don't really have, like I said earlier, a spray and pray approach. I am happy to do one or two deals a month, at least having built the right conviction, having done the right amount of due diligence. I'm not necessarily going after volume of the deals, but I'm actually going after higher quality of deals. Um, that's the first. The second is, uh, I, I say second is basically exclusivity, right? So we don't prefer to work with deals where we can't get exclusivity for that deal on AngelList. Uh, and there is multiple different reasons, right? Because if we, if a deal is being run on AngelList by three, four syndicates at the same time, in my view, it is not only damaging to the company's own positioning because it look, makes the, the founder look very weak, uh, but it's also not a very positive signal, right? I mean, it looks like, it makes it seem like the company is not that exclusive or uh, it's not, it's not uh, in high demand by institutional VCs. Uh, so we prefer to get exclusivity with our founders, so at least on our, for our AngelList arrays. Uh, the third is uh, I tend to be I try to be as extremely high value add, and that's part of part of the reason sometimes we get into deals is we work closely with the founders on on uh, talking to them about the strategy, their fundraising plan, business development efforts, but also then opening up the right doors for existing fundraising, but also for future fundraising. So I've worked with, for example, I'm working with one founder at the moment, and he's building a business in in the Middle East that is. 
uh, similar to what has been built in in US and Europe before. And DSP and Tiger have both invested in those businesses in the US. And his specific request was, can you introduce me to the DSP Tiger partner? So I made that happen. And even this is even before he decided to give me allocation. Right? So uh, we we tend to try to be as much value add on uh, to the founders. And the fourth is uh, which many people take uh, fairly lightly is the pro rata. Uh, we tend to not do a deal if we can't secure Prorata. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons is that if we, along the way, as we invest into different deals, if we find these winners, we want to continue to be able to uh, back them uh, for future rounds, right? So we would like that our LPs have that opportunity um, and hence we negotiate Prorata going into uh, uh, going into these deals. Interesting. And, um, uh, you know, uh... Uh, I was just wondering, you know, uh, you you started a syndicate rather than than a micro fund. Uh, you know, any any uh, reason behind that, and what what do you think would are the advantages of syndicates versus you know traditional micro fund? So I think there's a I I think for um, there is a advantage on both sides, right? So if you look at it from an LP's perspective, uh, the LP uh, from a micro fund, and I'm guessing when you're saying a micro fund, you're saying you're talking more about a a ten year whole period kind of a blind pool structure, right? Uh, for LPs in in a, in a syndicate, they get this ability to opt in, opt out, right? They're not really committed to the deals. They're not committed to the fund. They can opt in whenever they want to. If they like a deal, if they don't like a deal, they don't really have to uh, commit to it. Which is not the case in a in a micro fund, right? You are committing to a thesis, and then you are you you get drawn down over a period of time. Um, so that's that's a advantage for the potentially for uh, the LP. But from the GP's perspective, also, I mean, take it, take this with a pinch of salt. The advantage with for a GP on the syndicate is that, you know, in a syndicate, the carry carried interest is on a deal by deal basis as well, right? So you could, as a syndicate, uh, which is which also kind of leads to some sort of misalignment of interest. Like if you think about it that way, right? I'm as a GP more motivated if I run syndicates to do hundreds of deals because I do not get penalized on the negative deals. I get I make a, a carry on the positive deals, so the ones that have a positive outcome, right? So, um, and I get to uh, partake in all the carried interest by putting 1,000, 2,000, whatever the minimum check is in most deals. So I get all the upside, but I get no none of the downside. So it's, it creates this misalignment of interest, but that's also an advantage for GPs where, you know, there, there is this uh, significant amount of upside that you can create by doing deal by deal uh, carried, carried infrastructures. So there's advantages for, for both an LP and a GP and just doing syndicates versus doing microfunds. And of course, Doing microfunds comes with its own, you know, headaches of investor relations and all the other complexities that come up with it. Uh, managing LPs from a fund perspective is not a not an easy task. Right. And um, uh, uh, you know, running a startup can be can be very uh, difficult, uh, especially in the, in the in the early stage. Uh, what what are your thoughts on founders and operators who who run their own syndicates? Should they be running their own syndicates or should they just focus on building? So honestly, I actually am still on the fence with this. Right, this is an interesting new development. Um, so on Angelus, also now I see a bunch of deals which are basically founder-led syndicates. Uh, I'm personally not convinced uh, of this method as being the best way to to raise syndicates, unless uh, raise money for the startups, unless uh, the the business model of the company uh, could be benefited from it. Like for example, I'm I'm talking to a business that that does uh, storybooks for children. 
and their business model is of of course kind of around you know how many more people or eyeballs they can get on their their app right or people with with a, within a certain demographic can get to use this so for them it makes sense to do sort of this syndicate uh, themselves where they can get hundreds of people to look at their deal and then maybe uh, opt into their program for their app um i think the other issue is that uh apart from the fact that you said you know if the founder should be focusing on on building the business but it also gives the wrong signal right because it gives the perception that the founder is unable to raise money from institutions and from even from value added angel angels and syndicates because angelist itself has so many uh, great syndicates who are many of them are hugely value added investors um so for them to bypass all of them and just do try to raise uh, a syndicate or do a syndicate themselves just sends the wrong signal as well um so those are the main my two concerns i could be you know in many many times in the past i have missed trends um so i could completely be missing this new trend where this is a beginning of something uh, new and healthy i don't know you yeah, know absolutely that's a that's a uh, interesting uh, insight and um you know uh, since there be a lot of uh, syndicates and micro funds which have uh, which have risen in the in the, in the past couple of uh, years obviously trying to help out founders um, how, how do you think it has impacted uh, the seed capital landscape do you think uh, uh, you know access to capital has become easier but it's become cheaper also Well, of course, uh, the capital is the cheapest commodity at the at the moment. At least, uh, this is what I hear from all the smart people I speak to. Right? I mean, if you just look at all the deals, like some of the deals that we speak to, you know, a Series A company, uh, they've already been told by their VC that if you keep hitting a milestone, money will not be a problem. So don't worry about money, uh, which used to not be the case maybe five years ago or ten years ago. But so, in, and even if you look at just the size of funds that that all the funds have. uh you know become ginormous size sizes size right so uh that that in itself is shows you that capital is fairly cheap but i think uh, you know just from the rise of this traditional seed funds micro funds rolling funds syndicates etc it just i think it all helps the founder uh because now it is more and more imperative for the capital provider to show value add right so if I, i as a founder if i'm a founder i'm going to i have so much so many different options for taking capital that i will only work with uh, a value added investor and i have the ability to pick and choose especially if it's a good a good founder right so i think uh, you know some of the, the most smartest founders that we've spoken to like the first question they ask us is how can you add value and why should i take your money so they're not really talking about money anymore because money is secondary everybody has money and everybody can raise money and there are funds dime a dozen out there and there are syndicates many like me but it's more about what value add you can bring today tomorrow and the next round etc Correct, and you know, uh, um, uh, how do you look at uh, allocating reserve allocation for investments in in future rounds? So that's a that's a very tricky one for syndicates, right? Because I'm running a syndicate, so where we are kind of raising capitals uh, from LPs on a on a deal by deal basis, right? So it's reserving capital for future investments is not really an option. And so how I tend to play uh, in this is, you know, basically, which is what I was referring to earlier. Like what I, what we do differently is that we, uh, you know, in the hope that we can bring deals to our the same deal to our LP LPs in future rounds, we negotiate the pro rata, right? That becomes a criteria. We want to negotiate a pro rata, right? uh going in into syndicate so that at least we have that optionality to provide it as an option to our uh lps in future rounds but we can't really uh, you know put a put aside capital because it's a, it's a syndicate so you really kind of raising money see uh, day by day mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer 
and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got it. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about how the Spartan founders ask for, you know, what 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 more can you provide other than money? So, you know, how can syndicates add value uh, to founders, you know, other than capital allocation? Uh, you know, to, uh, do they also spend a lot of time with founders uh, when it comes to uh, talent hiring and other things? So, uh, I mean, there's multiple, uh, that's a very, you know, that, that question I can talk, talk to you about for ours, because I mean, that's a, that's one of the kind of main theses for my syndicate. You know, some of the, like I said earlier, like some of the best founders will not give you allocation unless you can prove value. And these are the best, these tend to be the best deals when, when the founder of the first question they ask you is tell me how you can add value as opposed to, you know, the, when the first question is how much money you can you put, right? If, if they, they invert the question and becomes, then you really know that the founder knows what, what they're doing. And, and then, and also shows you that there is a tremendous amount of capital chasing, right? Um, what, why, what syndicates can do or are doing or like mine, for example, uh, you know, because we don't have this pray and pray approach, we don't do 10, 20 deals a month. We have the ability to kind of go deep and work with these founders, right? Uh, I'll give you another example. One of these uh, founders that I was working with a few months ago, and I actually don't even have an allegation right now because he's not doing around, but we're trying to build a relationship so that hopefully, eventually, when he does around, he'll give me an allegation. Uh, and his request was he's building in the fintech space and he wanted an introduction into Bain Capital Ventures, Trinity Capital Venture, uh, Trinity, Cap- Trinity Capital. Uh, Wells Fargo Strategy Capital and uh, Oprah Winfrey's family office, right? So uh, I was working with him to kind of help make those introductions. Of course, I am not a genie, so I cannot make everything happen. Uh, so I made the first three happen. Unfortunately, Oprah Winfrey's family office was not responsive to uh, my inquiries. Uh, but so that's that's where you kind of earn the trust of uh, founders. But it's not only on fundraising, right? It's whether it's kind of helping them with recruiting, talking to them about strategy. One of my one of my founders. We we have kind of on uh, on, a, on a bi-weekly basis we talk about kind of strategy uh, and how he how how he should be pitching the business to maybe other investors even partners and etc. So we talk about how they should be thinking through strategy. So it, it depends. Like again, it is for each each syndicate lead to decide where their strong suit is. Uh, many people have a a, a a stronger suit in helping on the hiring side or marketing side or business development uh, kind of or just being a CEO coach. Uh, a mentor, right? Um, so there's multiple different things you could do, but you can only do it if you have the bandwidth to do it, right? And which only comes with uh, that. That is kind of in the territory when you're doing low volume of deals. If you're doing that many, 20, 30 deals a month, I, I, I don't, I don't see how you, how anybody would have the ability to kind of uh, add that much value. Correct, absolutely. And um, you know, before the before the call, we we were talking about you know diving, which has been uh, you know one of your passions, uh, and uh, I believe you've you've done, uh, you know, diving, at least 17 diving uh, uh, sessions uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, how did you develop this passion and how did it go about uh, during the COVID times? So I actually, uh, uh, you know, I didn't really know it was my passion until I actually tried it uh, many, many years ago. I had actually 2017 or maybe it runs to 2016. I tried it for the first time. Never actually went diving. So I actually, diving, uh, if you, if I don't know if you know, like you need kind of a bunch of certifications before you can even dive, uh, you know, in the ocean for the first time, right? So I did all my certifications and then, then I chickened out, right? Because I had this uh, claustrophobia, uh, fear of kind of close spaces, et cetera. So I actually chickened out and actually going in the sea 
and diving for a real dive. I, of course, I did my training dives, but never actually did a real dive in the open water by myself or by with with a with a group. And so during COVID, I thought I thought like you know uh, what better time to go to put that skill set to use. I had the skill set already, but never had you know pushed my body to that extent. So I went to Maldives. I did seventeen dives over five days. Uh, ran out of air. Twice came out on somebody else's spare uh, spare air, which is not a very good idea when you're doing diving. Uh, but had the most uh, awesome experience because I pushed my body. Like I learned a lot of skills in the in a very compressed amount of time from some of the best divers that I've I've seen, and saw a bunch of marine life. Like I, I had the uh, the pleasure of uh, swimming with a a whale shark uh, and a bunch of manta rays, and so the the marine life was brilliant. So yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I mean the learning from for me was. More, I think the, the 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 saying when people say like you know then your most of the learning is out of your comfort zone, is is a reality right because unless I push myself out there and you know put put my push my body to the limits like I wasn't really able to kind of learn and, and accept this as a real skill. Now I'm actually six uh, dives away from being a, a, a master diver. So I need 50 dives to get to a master diver. I'm around six dives. Uh, from master diver, so I have all the certifications possible um, to become a master diver. No, congratulations! I think it takes a lot of courage to to dive. I just dive once in Bali, and I, I never had the courage to do it again. But but congratulations you on that. And I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, can I give you multiple? So I'm actually a, um, a voracious reader. Right? I can do like forty to sixty books a year. Uh, and you do audible only, right? So I mean, you try to utilize all my driving time and gym time and listening to books. So my all-time favorite definitely has to be uh, how to win friends and influence people. Like that's uh, my all-time favorite favorite by uh, Dale Carnegie. But I also like like you know uh, biographies or like how businesses were scaled. So things like Shoe Dog, uh, which is Nike story, or uh, Hatching Twitter, which is kind of the inside story on Twitter. And then right now I'm doing Seven Powers. Got it. We'll, we'll, we'll put that in, in the show notes. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Uh, so the tools that I'm using right now, for the most part, are uh, the, my favorite tools right now because it helps me kind of run a better part of my my evening life right now. Is uh, Crunchbase and Calendly. Uh, Crunchbase to figure out what companies, where, who's raised, who the kind of contact people there, etc. Uh, and then Calendly to kind of schedule the 15, 20, 25 founder calls that I do on a weekly basis, right? But I'm actually talking to a startup right now that is innovating on the calendar side, which may which may revolutionize uh, how we use calendars going forward. So uh, fingers crossed on that. We'll see. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Calendly is, is one of my favorite tools also, but would love to know more about uh, the calendar company that, you know, you're building up in. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started your syndicate, what is, what, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, given my facility is like fairly new and it's only six months old, so I'm kind of learning uh, on a daily basis. Like one of the things I've definitely, if I had to do redo this again, I probably uh, you know do a lot more work upfront to figure out what few sectors and few geographies I want to go after, as opposed to being a generalist, both sector and geography agnostic. Um, and then become like the go-to syndicate for those deals, right? Like I know a bunch of syndicates that just do fintech. I know a bunch of syndicates that do uh, or do a lot of future of work. Uh, for me, if I actually ever, ever did this, I'd probably focus on fintech, future of work, B2B SaaS, mobility. These are the spaces that I understand uh, a lot more than others. So that's probably what I would eventually kind of do in any case. But had I started 
had I started on the or I, could I, if, I, if I could go back in time and, and redo this, I'd probably you know start with a, a more narrower focus. Got it. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, what is your one piece of advice for syndicate LPs? So one piece of advice, I, I mean, like this is not advice only for syndicate LPs. This is for everybody that I know, my friends, my family, uh, a lot of people, and including myself, right? So I made this mistake and I'm sure everybody, you could read about this, right? There's not that many people who have made one investment and that investment has done 100x, right? Like that, that happens, but it happens very, very rarely, right? So don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't say, I'm going to make this five, one investment, put 50,000, 10,000, whatever the number is and hope that that is going to do 100x. The better approach is think what you have as uh, as your investment pool, divide it up by, I don't know, 50, 100 companies, and then do that over five to 10 years, right? Consistently. So you get a flavor for different vintages, you get a flavor for different companies, and then you're building basically a diversified pool of, of investments over a period of time, as opposed to putting all your eggs in one basket and just saying, I'll probably do 100x, because it's, it's very, very low probability that that will happen. Got it. No, absolutely. And um, uh, Ali, what is the best way people can uh, know about Fastly uh, Valuable Ventures? So uh, the link, I guess you can share, uh, Rohit, you can, if you can share the link on the uh, on the podcast, but it's basically if you just type Vastly Valuable Ventures in uh, on Google with maybe AngelList, uh, you, that should be the, hopefully the first name that shows up. Or you can write to me at Ali. ALI at wasplyvaluable.com and I can send you a link as well. Thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Absolute pleasure. Man. Thank you so much for, for uh, making the time to speak with me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>